Do you love NASCAR and all things racing? Then you've come to the right place. I'm Derek Cope. And I'm Alicia Cope. We are your hosts. And here on Race Theory, we talk about all things asphalt racing. Our life on the road, maintaining good sponsor relationships, as well as balancing our work and family life as a team. Stick around and hopefully our tips and experiences will help you reach your own goals. Welcome back to Race Theory. This is episode 14, and we are discussing the 2018 season for Starcom Racing. That is when Alicia and I were managing the Cup Series team, and we had been already at the racetrack and getting ready to move forward, and I was still looking like I was going to drive the car at Daytona, but there was come dialogue and conversations that from other race car drivers once they knew that we were up and running, which validated the fact that we had a Cup Series team. And, you know, rumors were out that we had a charter, at least. Then drivers started come calling and were looking to bring money for the ride, which we knew at the Christmas party that I was going to be out of the car and that we were going to take paid drivers uh, to help offset, mitigate the, the cost of the charter engine program, et cetera. So it was kind of sweet and sour. It was. And so what I thought was it was going to be wasn't what it turned out to be. And so we worked diligently to try to make this a, a good business model for uh, the Starcom boys. And we were in a situation where we were dealing with RCR and ECR, where we had the ECR engine program, which we owned our own engines, which was the right path for us to go. And we had purchased cars and our crew chief and car chief went up there, picked out cars from RCR. They were, uh, one of them was the, the speedway cars were actual speedway cars, but you know, some that had not kind of not been ran for a year or so. And then the rest of the cars were actually Bush series cars that were a bit frail uh, and really had things on them that really weren't conducive for bump stops and running the cup series. Uh, but that's really all we had access to because the program that I was wanting to do, obviously we had spoken about and alluded to, didn't didn't come to fruition. So they started hanging bodies as part of our contract. They were hanging the bodies at RCR. And we had picked out two Speedway cars, but in the within the process, they ended up giving one away or selling one to another situation, which ended up being for Danica Patrick. So we ended up only having one Speedway car at our disposal going to Daytona. So we went there without a backup car which did not excite us, but that's really all we had because we were starting so late and we were under the gun, you know, with, you know, with uh, not having access to those cars. And so then throughout the process, we were getting ready with the other cars that we had and we had to hurry and try and get bodies on. And of course, RCR is doing them in-house along with all their other teams and the alliances that they had and getting behind. So we had to, they had to farm out outsource some of the bodies to other people to do for us and which was alarming to me because it really was not we were paying for rcr bodies you know that type of you know of a body that we felt like would be you know the best body that we could actually get you know from a, a entity like rcr and we would parasite knowledge but they started outsourcing to other people and i didn't feel like that they had the capabilities to, to do that. Some of them didn't have a Romer arm to do it with. So it was a struggle. And, but we had to have race cars ready to go because we had to go to the West coast swing. So it was, 
one of those things where you're kind of between a rock and a hard place and you have to make conscious decisions about allowing things to happen because they aren't performing to what they said they could do. So that's what we, we ended up doing. And on the sponsorship driver side, in the meantime, you know, we're working on the nuts and bolts side, trying to get all the equipment going. And we have all these drivers talking to the owners and to Alicia and, and uh, a marketing group. And there are numerous drivers coming with funding, looking to want to drive the car. And then a sponsor uh, is approached uh, by, to Kevin Cope about bringing in uh, this group to, uh, and that's where Alicia comes in with uh, the sponsorship and they start dealing with this one sponsor. Yeah, it was um, actually a simulator company called VRX. And there was a agent um, in the middle who actually spoke with Kevin first. And then Kevin called and said, hey, would you entertain putting Jeffrey Earnhardt in the car? And I said, absolutely. And he said, well, this sponsor is an Earnhardt senior diehard fan. And he has this race simulator that's just got all the bells and whistles. And especially back then, this was really the first simulator that actually moved up and down and rattled the seed. And um, it was very, very high tech. He wanted to get into NASCAR so that he could actually sample um, that simulator to race fans for purchase. He wanted to get some type of booth space within the fan zone or infield. At first, we thought that this was going to, you know, be able to to happen. And he had conversations with NASCAR that I was not privy to. And they must have promised him something because he agreed to um, definitely do Daytona with um, an option to do the rest of the races for the year if he could get a deal. And he thought that he had a position to place that simulator there at the Daytona 500. But um, really nice guy. Um but I don't think he knew what he was in for. And this is another example of, you know, if you, um, you feel like sometimes you've, you want it so badly to be true. You want the sponsor to have the money and you want these people to be able to bring what they say they can bring. And you have every expectation to thrust, um, their product into the limelight. And you just know that your marketing strategies are going to work. However, when you're leaning on um, entity like NASCAR to help you, um, that's not going to happen. <laughs> so <laughs> cut and dry. Um, so it was um, very disappointing um, that he was not able to procure the spot. And then they actually, I mean, it was an insane amount of money to um, actually, you know, go to the other racetracks and set it up, as you might imagine. But um, Jeffrey um, drove for us there at uh, Daytona. And, um, we actually were doing pretty well in that race. Um, we were very excited to have the paint scheme on the car and he had a very special helmet made with his, um, dad's portrait or grandpa rather on his helmet. And that drew a lot of press and he got a lot of, uh, mentions and notoriety on that. So things were going pretty well. And then, um, I can't remember how far into that, that race that we got collected. Well, we had, we had a, we had a good practice session. We had really good qualifying situations. And then leading up for the 150s, our car had a lot of speed. We were in the top 15 in, in speeds. I think kind of somewhere close to like 12th or, you know, sometimes in the top 10 initially until they got pushed back and some bigger runs happened. But realistically, we had a really good race car. He drove well. He did not have a great deal of uh, experience on the speedways. 
The car was fast. It drove well. And I thought that our crew chief and our, our people had done a really nice job and positioned Jeffrey for a good opportunity. And that looked like in the 150, the car drove really well. He was able to run in the draft and stayed in the draft. Certainly made a lot of mistakes and, you know, it's relegated to being pushed back as we went along, but really ended up with a solid effort and then positioned ourselves really for you know, the race well. And in the race, again, uh, I thought we had a pretty decent effort. The car ran well. Uh, it was competitive. And we just ma managed to, you know, migrate ourselves towards the back, get ourselves in compromising positions, and then not really want to pack air on, on the other guys, not really knew how to do that. And I think really just struggled with the actual race craft of speedway racing to keep yourself in the draft. And when you aren't running nose to tail and then you won't use the high side and you won't pack air because you have to use the air uh, and the angle of attack to keep uh, as a brake mechanism to hold people back and keep them from, you know, moving up so you can keep uh, yourself in a position till help comes and then you can manage to make a, a pass. So it's just just didn't have the experience in those things. And we, you know, we finally managed our way towards the back, but still had a decent effort late in the race to be running pretty well, but ended up getting up, getting collected in a crash late, which really was, you know, just made, I think the owners were very despondent or the fact that we could have had a good devastated. quality. Yeah. Devastated, I guess probably is a better word, but we, we really had the opportunity to have a decent finish there in, in our first race. And, you know, again, when you talk about, the thing that Alicia and I really stressed in the beginning of this deal was the emotion of racing, taking the emotion out of it and trying to have realistic expectations. But it is hard to do when you get caught up in the moment. You're at the Daytona 500, your first Daytona 500 as cup owners, and your car is running very well. And then all of a sudden the rug is pulled out from underneath you. That is very difficult for anyone to take. And it was a, it was a difficult evening, uh, afterwards and the owners, you know, I think were very down over all that. And you just have to try to explain to them that, look, we, you know, maybe we should have pulled him out of there. Or maybe we should have made different decisions, you know, where we just didn't ride, you know, you, but you know, at the same time you're racing and, you know, you want to pull the back, you want to like stay out of the, stay out of the, the fight and get a good finish. And then, you know, you, it's kind of like, well, and I truly blame the, uh, spotter for putting him in a very bad position there uh, right before he got collected. In my opinion, I felt that he did a very poor job. Well, for whatever the case was, you know, it just, it just did not end well. And, you know, again, you have a driver that's paying for the ride and a sponsor that's doing it. They want you to race. They don't want you to like lay back and, and be at the back and just get a good finish. They're looking for exposure, value for the sponsor. They're, Jeffrey's trying to make a name for himself and showcase his potential. And he wants more money as well. And he is going to race the car because the money is there and they brought money. So it's kind of like a catch 22. You know, the owners want one thing and you asking for somebody to pay money and come drive the car. And then at the same time, they want a different result as well. So you have a conflict. So everyone's conflicted over what and how you should do things. And then the end result you know, comes. So that really was how it really went down at Daytona. So once you get back from that and you can lick your wounds and you basically. <laughs> you always say that. You know, After every Daytona, how many yeah. times have I heard you say, let's lick our wounds and get back at it? 
Well, it seems like the, you only get, you know, you run, run really good there. Then it kind of never happens again for a while and you have to lick your wounds. So, you know, it, it <laughs> you was lick your wounds more than yeah, you do. anything else. Well, you lose more than you win anyways. Right. So <laughs> especially at Daytona. But at that point, we have to, you know, you're going racing 36 weekends. So, you know, you are now getting preparing to go to Atlanta and get ready to go race there and then to the West Coast Swing. So, you know, we had the sponsor, we're geared up, we have race cars and we get ready to go, you know, to the next races. And you just, you start going through the process. So now you are, you know, you're done with Daytona and now you're on a string of races and you just have to settle into the mile and a half to the two mile racetracks. And this is where it gets difficult because Daytona is not like all the other racetracks. So now it comes down to being very, you know, aggressive and drive, manipulating a race car and being hung out and tire degradation comes into play. The racetracks are a lot different that you're going to. So having only run, you know, limited cup races you know, you're, you're in, in the throes of a new team trying to gel with a, with a driver and a crew chief combination and spotter. And you're going to try to get, you know, off to a good start. We obviously had a record Daytona, so you got to try to go, you know, have a good run to the next few races. So we go off and we, we end up going to the next few races. We go, we struggle at, at um, Atlanta and we struggle at uh, California. Really just didn't really seem to hit on all eight, you know, Atlanta is a really tough place to go because such tire degradation there that the racetracks, you know, fall off on speed and you have a lot of, uh, disparity in the speeds from, you know, uh, the start of the run to the end of the run. And you're really on the ragged edge there. You got to use the whole racetrack to find your way to be competitive, you know, and you have comers and goers. And then you go to California, same type of deal, two mile racetrack. You got to run from the bottom to the top. You can go five wide there. And again, a lot of degradation, the tire and fall off. And it just really was not, and you have to use the draft there. You, again, you have to, you have to stay in line. You have to, you know, you have to use the draft. You got to pack air. Otherwise people just get away from you and you can never, and you're in dirty air all the time. So he struggled there and we really, it was a disappointing run from that standpoint. And we also had the situation where the sponsor had gave us some bad news. Yeah, he was um, he was running out of money, and it was quite surprising to me when I heard that at Fontana that he he could not pay for another race. And I was like, "What?" I honestly thought that either he had investors, uh, was independently wealthy. The simulator was so expensive to build. Um, I just assumed that, you know, he had some type of funding for that and was using, you know, some of the funding to build these for the marketing part. He and, had alluded to the fact that he had, you know, um, sales, he had, yes. you know, uh, large companies that he was involved with. So led us to believe, you know, obviously without knowing that industry that, you know, he had distribution, he had, you know, um, had funding for these things and that he was looking at some, some other you know, groups of people that were looking to buy in or do some things and buy or make orders. So we thought that we were on a good path. Right. But it um, definitely came to our attention that um, he did not have um, the ability to pay for races any longer past Fontana. And I, I felt honestly bad for him. Um, he was using personal money at that time and getting a lot of grief from his wife, taking, you know, um, loans, you know, and, so I pretty much told the owners, 
this is probably going to be the last of the funding. And, you know, what do we do with the driver situation here? And it's never fun to have to take a driver out of the car because of lack of funding. But that's exactly what it came down to. And we honestly kept him in the car for two more races. And um, also, too, remember, he um, we had had from, I think Atlanta was the only track that we did not have some major damage on the car. The West Coast Swing, we um, we went into the fence once... Um, we had we had several we had small incidents and things you know the car had to have some attention which you know which it's just going to happen because if you're racing hard on those types of racetracks you're going to have that but we went to we got through to uh, Las Vegas and at that point with the the crew chief and the driver were not really seeing eye to eye and you know I think Jeffrey was upset with the way the car was handling and of course. I think the crew chief was upset with the way the driver was driving. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know. Well, and both had valid points. Yeah. And so you look at those things, right? And, you know, we're trying to, I'm trying to quantify exactly what do we have. And so I know that we were at Vegas and he was struggling at Vegas. He could not get the car in the corner. We were so slow on entry to the center. We were losing about seven car lengths just on the entry and we could not keep any speed. And so you're trying to figure out you're trying to figure out how why? much is the car and how much is the driver. Exactly. And that's always a hard thing. And then the driver went to another team, a rival team, and got a setup, which obviously, you know, upsets the crew chief. And the crew chief looks at the setup and says, well, here's what we have in the car, which is relatively close to what this setup is from this top team. Now, you know, all we know is the SMT, which SMT was a, a mechanism that you have the same data to look at of all the other drivers and you can overlay everybody else's laps on the racetrack with your driver so you're able to show this simulation uh of our car with everybody else's car the line they're driving the brake the throttle everything so we were able to really start to look at that so we could see if we could get jeffrey to emulate what we were doing and he could not get in the corner he was getting beat so badly he's out of the gas the other guys are carrying throttle never getting out of the throttle all the way and we were unable to do that so it just again further i think raised the level of what the crew chief was feeling and sensing because he couldn't perform to what the other drivers were doing. And then, you know, of course the crew chief thinks the car is good and that he should be able to do that. And in retrospect, you, know, you can't always say that the car is good and the driver's always screwed up, right? Well, and to Jeffrey's credit, once we did put the next driver in, we found out how bad the car really was. Right. So we, you know, and I was trying to, you know, figure out just exactly how good or how bad we were. And, you know, here you are using these cars and, but you're seeing the cars are starting to flex, they're breaking some pieces. So you already know by what you've known about race cars for your whole life, that these cars are, are Xfinity cars. We're sitting on bump stops and bump springs and the car has got a lot of load on it. And we're, we're actually twisting and, and breaking these cars. So, you know, that the cars don't have any real integrity. So you feel bad that the car is not you know, maintaining its cambers. It's not, you know, it's got deflection in it, right? The car is just not keeping uh, what it needs to have to get in the corner. So as, as things work out, uh, the owners are unhappy the fact we're not getting paid. So there's going to be a driver change. So they look to pay a driver, somebody that has experience that we could bring in that could maybe already had just driven race cars. So 
We looked at Landon Castle. Well, before we even looked at Landon, and we looked at a lot of other drivers too, you were going, you were approached by the owners to get back in the car, especially to just figure out what's going wrong. You know, like you said, how bad is the car? And you did get along with the crew chief, so you thought maybe you could figure it out. However, your biggest caveat was, I'm not going to get in the car after Jeffrey. We had already had a lot of social media hate for taking an Earnhardt out of the car. Um, Initially, when Starcom started, the majority of our fan base were Earnhardt fans because we put his grandson into our car. And it was a culture of of that, you know, that we were an, an Earnhardt, you know, legacy team. And that's what the sponsor wanted as well. And plus, I, I, you know, I didn't really think that Jeffrey could be as bad as we were running because he had already ran the Cup Series with someone else and didn't perform that badly. You know, so I was, I was torn to figure out, well, you know, if I go get into a car, right. And I mean, I already drove that first car in the first race and we looked terrible and I was already concerned. Right. So I'm trying to well, and of course, this was a different car, but you did not want to get into the car. You felt that it would be bad for the team. Reputation-wise, it would look like, oh, here's Derek Cope, owner of this team. All he wanted to do was kick Jeffrey out just so that he could get in and drive the car. Correct. And you did not want that type of bad PR on the team. And you didn't want to be the scapegoat. And neither one. Right. I didn't think it was a good move on either front. And I felt like that the best thing, and I didn't have the seat time that possibly somebody that we could put in the car that was relevant and racing every week for years in the last few years, right, could probably give us a better path and tell us more about if we were okay or if we were like deficient in some areas. So, right. And, and here we were, you know, already started the year. So we had to look to a driver that did not have a ride yes. at the time. Yep. And so I had conversations with Landon about whether or not he could bring sponsorship. And at first he said that he felt that he could. He didn't say, he said, I'm not going to dangle the carrot and not deliver. He actually said those words. And and I respected him for that at that time. But he did feel like he had relationships that he could bring to the table. So he was put in as a paid driver, just kind of like a, a driver development, which he was very familiar with and had success with. So um, even though you know he hadn't had stellar success, um, with the team he had just come from and been released from, we felt that he would be a good barometer of, okay, let's start with square one and you tell us what is this car doing? Well, I felt like from where he had been, he'd been a development driver for Hendrick Motorsports. So he'd been in a good system. He obviously had been in situations where he was, he dealt with, you know, all the things that you needed to go test and, and find out what the car needed, you know? So he had a lot of, I think, you know, interesting things that he could bring to the table and, and some experience. And he just left front row motorsports where he had been, you know, productive, not great, but productive. And so you felt like that he knew what the car should drive like, right. And, and teams that had some money. So I felt like that that was probably the best choice at the time, just to put him in there to see if he could quantify, is the car sound? Is it, maybe not as fast as it needs to be. Maybe we're off on the arrow, but is there inherent problems with the car? And there certainly were. And there were. 
the cars did not, I mean, he, we had, we had a lot of struggles with the geometry and the way the cars were in the front, maybe some aero things along with those things. And so we had to go to work and we worked on the front geometry spindles and things to try to rectify some of the problems with what we had. Well, and come to find out, we took a, um, a crew member from RCR and they said that they had had these same problems with those Xfinity cars when they had them. That's correct. And the drivers were complaining about the same thing. Yeah. So, um, so we started cutting the cars up and we started making them more rigid and adding bars, trying to stop the flexing and the movement of the cars, which seemed to help. And that was keeping, you know, the geometry the same. There was a lot of no migration, no, no, you know, uh, movement in the front of the car. And that seemed to fix something. Then we changed some spindles and some other things. So all of a sudden we, started to see merit to the cars working well again. And then Landon goes to, I think, Bristol. Yes, we had a great and run And we have at a top Bristol. 20 at Bristol. And we have a solid effort there. I mean, raced our way to 20th, which, you know, for a young team startup after the, you know, the start that we had had was just a nice, And it know, was terrible weather, freezing cold, rainy. And here we were out there uh, at times. We were even running in the top 10 because of... Um, pit strategy. I remember um, the crew chief was so proud of himself when he uh, actually came in and pitted on a long green and then everyone everyone followed after that. And it put us in a really good position. That whole race, everyone worked very, very well. Landon is very good at Bristol. Um, and the crew chief did a very good job calling the race. Spotter did a good job. The spotter did a good job. Of course, we did change spotters right after Daytona. And um, the uh, the pit crew did a great job. So it was, um, it was a very valiant effort. And I felt that that was really when the owners were completely vested in this effort. They were so excited and especially Billy, Billy watched that race. And then all of a sudden his faith in what we could do and his faith in the driver. And that really became, you know, the driver that he that he rallied behind. Mm-hmm. And I think that was a turning point, like you said. It validated the fact that maybe we had turned the corner a little bit for a new team, getting started late, not having the right cars that we really did want, and we were making progress. So that's really how it started. And, you know, kind of we had our ups and downs and our good places and our bad places. Uh, and then we started, the owners wanted to start a second car. And we, we took that on with not enough people. It was, a, it was a bad decision. You know, we tried to do more than we could do, but it was twofold. One for maybe me to drive a few races, and we had another young kid that's devoting his time that really had a lot of talent, and we were trying to showcase him a little bit, and we were also trying to put he revenue. He was volunteering yeah, as a mechanic for seat time in the car. And then we tried to utilize what revenue we could create with sponsorship as well as the winnings at that time, which was relatively substantial before they actually started cutting back the open cars. So it was the purse of the open yeah, car. The was, purse, the open was, car was a lot then. higher then. So we could use that money, which helped offset what we were doing for the, for the first car. So it was just another mechanism to create revenue to help the overall um, mitigation of the bills. But as it would turn out, um, it did not create revenue and we were very, very poorly staffed. I could not stand the crew chief that was on that second car and didn't like him from the very beginning. And of course told you that, but we, you were kind of between a rock and a hard place because you were in the car and, uh, it turned out to be a very 
poor decision to run that second car. But I think you have to look at where we were at. At the same time, you're a new team. You have people, you know, we were able to acquire some some very good people that I had relationships before that we were trying to put, you know, a cohesive group together. At the same time, it's tough to find quality people because everybody has landed somewhere. And if guys are out there without jobs at that point in time, they're probably less. There's a reason why. There's a reason why. So, I mean, and so you're not getting the cream of the crop and you're trying to look for bodies to try to help uh, and hope that you can use the the main core group guys that can help teach the other guys. And we were just understaffed and trying to do too much. And it just, it just did not work that well for us. And, uh, you know, we just, we did as best we could and we got through the year and, you know, you just, you just wish that you could, you know, you know, make, made some different choices, but you have to understand that again, you've got the emotion that we talked about and the excitement level at the owner side and everybody's, you know, getting talked to by a lot of people. So you have a lot of outside influences and everybody's getting vested in this thing. And they like that people are talking to them. And, and the perception of having a two car team. Absolutely was definitely, um, you know, attractive. And it was attractive to other drivers that were constantly contacting them. So it definitely elevated their notoriety. And all of a sudden, Starcom Racing is, you know, we've burst on the scene, not only with one, but with two cars. So we did get to the end of the year and and um, magically had sponsorship on on the cars almost every single week. And um, had a lot of fun um, at Homestead at the end of the year. And um, yeah, it was definitely a year of learning and growing. And I felt that you and I had come a long way in developing people. Well, I think throughout that year, you know, my whole thought was that I really wanted to do what my initial thoughts were. And that was to get the JTG cars. Um, I really wanted those new, those cars. I felt like that they were, they were a better chassis. I felt like that that's what I wanted originally, but I couldn't get it. But we were on that path. And we were able to, at Miami there, to take, well, the last few races. Actually, Kansas was the first race that we had bought some JTG cars and starting to make that transition. And I wanted to prove or disprove to the team that these cars were like our next version that we needed to invest in. And so at that time, we'd already made a crew chief change because our crew chief had got sick. He, you know, we, he, you know, he was having some major health issues and, you know, we, we parted ways and we ended up with another, another, uh, uh, crew chief and car chief. And we went through that process and it was one of those things where, you know, you gain guys that are more vested, more excited and more working with the people, but maybe not quite as talented from a chassis setup standpoint. But I started bringing it, I bought these new JTG cars. I tried to introduce those things and I took a car and worked with our fabricators on the, on the geometry and the, the actual spindles that we had to make and things. And we got ready to go to Kansas and went through with this car and it proved to be relatively productive. It was loose to start and we didn't make the right adjustments, but the car drove really well. And from that point, we started running that car a little bit. And by the time we got to the last race at, at, at Miami, we went down there and we were within like three tenths of the JTG cars, which had full on, you know, Hendrick motor program, you know, top of the line, their cars, the whole bit. And we're within three tenths and we didn't get all the practice because of the uh, mistakes we made 
on the preparation of the rule changes going down the quarter panel uh, lengths and then the splitter thing. So we ended up getting very minimal amount of practice, but we we're able to show that we could run within like three tenths of JTG, who was the car we purchased from. And we were able to really see that now we have a race car that has downforce like the big teams had with our own engine program in there. And we were right in the mix. I think that really was the validation we needed to get ready to go into the following year. I felt like that we had turned the corner. I felt like that we had race cars that had, you know, high quality amount of downforce and the aerodynamic capabilities to race with these guys. And I thought now maybe we could go to the racetrack with the same stick or somewhat close. Right. To and, do battle with. and you definitely proved um, to the owners and to the team that you were correct, that the chassis of those Xfinity cars that we had purchased from RCR were not good. They were terrible cars. And as soon as you got a different chassis, things changed dramatically. And the drivers knew it as well. So um, we had that validation. And so it was good to have, you know, to see that win with you because we did struggle so badly with the bodies of those cars all year long. And, you know, again, didn't quite know at first, is it the driver? Is it the car? Is it us? So um, it definitely was nice to see us have some good runs there at the end of the year and and really put um, some wind in our sails. And, uh, you know, I really did enjoy that crew chief, um, you know, Rick was very solid. He he was very stable. He got along with everyone. Um, but like you said, you 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 give up, you know, the great for the good sometimes because you don't want a crew chief that rattles everybody's cage. But those are the ones that are a little bit more assertive or aggressive. But if you have one that is a great people person, great communicator person, sometimes isn't the greatest on setups and strategy. So it's a it's a real balance. That position is so hard to fill. It is. And then you make choices. And sometimes, you know, you think you're going to get people or you got, you know, that you're going to bring into the system and they don't come. And then you go to plan B and you have somebody else there and you want to give this guy, because you know, he's really good with chassis. You want to give him a chance because you know that he can do the job from a, from a technical standpoint, but he lacks some leadership skills. And you think that, you know, you, you want to let people have that ability to come out and run a team from through the winter, get ready to go, be structured and come out, you know, of the barrel. And all of a sudden you can see in the wintertime that, you know, the choice you made that he's not stepping up to the plate and he can't manage people. You have to talk, you have to communicate, you have to have structure. And then here I am, I'm starting to have to do that. And that's not my job. And so, you know, you start looking outside the box again, is there a guy that has some experience and, you know, you know, there's guys out there, but they have baggage. They got problems. They got things, but they're talented. They've won races. They won <laughs> championships. And you want to try to do something that's going to help like the those, team. Kind of like those personalities where they could be geniuses, but there's going to be some outside baggage. <laughs> yeah. And that's what you do. You make decisions, right? And you want people and you want to give people chances. And I've always been that way. But, yes. And- you give, definitely give way more chances than what I would give. Sometimes I'm just like, Oh Lord, this one, this is well, not good. And you say, Oh, well, you know, we can help and he can help. And, 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 the, and it looks good on the front side going in everybody's engaged and working hard, but then you know what? Old habit, old habits die hard. And we'll stop with that. And we'll allude to that later. But, uh, you know, again, we'll, we'll discuss some other things about that uh, in our next episode, but but yeah, um, wanted to touch base with all of our listeners. Um, 
We love the comments that we're getting. And thank you so much uh, for listening in to all of the episodes. Hope you are enjoying them. And what we'd like to talk about is if you are starting a team in any kind of motorsports and needing some insight, whether it be people, um, nuts and bolts, networking, marketing, um, we offer a free 15-minute consultation with either Derek or myself. Just reach out to us on our social media at DerekCope00, just DM us or at HealthCoachCope and let us know. We um, really value uh, relationships that we still have sponsorship wise. And I feel like we can bring a lot to the table uh, from a marketing standpoint. And I know you certainly have faith in what Derek is talking about, or you wouldn't be listening in. And him being in the field for such a long time, he certainly can put together almost any type of proposal or plan or business plan that you might be looking at. I think right now, you know, with being involved in the Trans Am series and what we're doing there, um, I've had some opportunities to do some consulting work, and and I'm in that position right now where, you know, we work on you know decks for sponsorship. You know, we work on relationships, trying to go in and pitch deals. We also, you know, I I have a shock absorber background, so we we work along those lines as well. But right now, the consulting side of things that we're doing is more for, uh, you know, race team development. Uh, looking at, you know, if you have, or you have race car drivers, you're, you have young kids, you have, you know, gentlemen drivers, you have, you know, up and coming drivers, maybe that are looking to try to move from a lesser series, you know, say maybe the, you know, Canaan or the, you know, the archetype series, you want to step up, you know, if you need guidance, if you want to ask questions, you want to get, you know, some feedback and just pick someone's brain, then that's kind of what we do. We try to help with, you know, direction and, you know, what the next steps are, because in this day and age, it's hard to, to navigate from one thing to another, right? And maybe you're in one type of uh, sporting series and you're looking to do something else, or you're trying to figure out, you know, where to take your, your young child, uh, what's the next steps, what should we be doing? Here's what we're doing, or we don't have enough money to do this. What would be your suggestion on how to procure relationships or things? So that's kind of what we do. It's kind of what we feel comfortable trying to, you know, to tell you, lead you down certain paths. We, one thing we don't do is we are not going to misrepresent situations. Uh, if I go and I do um, a racetrack consultation or I go and I watch, you know, your videos or you send us, you send us in-car camera clips. Uh, if you have in-car cameras, you do, you know, some type of GoPro camera stuff. We can evaluate that. We can look at the data. We can see what's going on and try to give input and help fix that or come to an actual racetrack and do that, you know, at the track itself. So there's a multitude of opportunities that we can do. Um, we can certainly, like you said, allude to a 15-minute free consultation for you to ask questions, talk to us, maybe get a feel for, is, is you know, can we do something? Could, can we give you value, you know, for, for something? Um, and at least just bounce something off us. And again, we have worked with the sponsorships, you know, uh, we've procured our own sponsorship, you know, from the start of racing. I pretty much have landed a lot of my own deals. I've sat in front of, you know, a lot of people to try to close deals. And, you know, lots of times we can help you 
lead you down little ways to start with product sponsors or things like that to help you get started and then try to get, you know, your young woman or, you know, your little girl or your little boy or, or whatever the case may be and give them ideas and try to give them a conception of like what it really takes. And it comes down to a lot of commitment, comes down to a lot of passion, and then it comes down to a willingness to, you know, for them to do what is necessary to get to the level that they want to get to. You yourself sometimes, you know, being, you know, the parents uh, or, you know, you've got maybe some folks that you think are potential investors or, or backers or people that just want to help. Those are the kinds of things that we can try to find ways that we can maybe help you, you know, provide value for them, uh, opportunities to give you ideas. Alicia has a lot of a lot of insight in that. Well, and a lot of times that's where families really struggle is you don't want to ask that friend or that relative or that acquaintance that you know that has a business that could be a great investor for your team or for your child or for you. And it takes an outsider to be able to ask the hard questions. And the money question is the hard question. And I've been with people that have nursed spot potential sponsors for months or years and still weren't able to finally say, okay, we ready to do this deal? What's it going to take? And really it just takes one question to get them to say yes or no. If the answer is going to be no, it's going to be no, no matter what the price tag is. If the answer is yes, then you come down to, okay, how much money do you have? What is in your budget? And you start with a number and then you whittle it down from there. Or we're able to say, okay, here's the menu, A, B, C, D. What is it that you truly want? And then we pick and choose. So it it really is um, enjoyable for me to do those things. I feel like that is where um, I can bring some value to the table. And it just takes a really um, heartfelt communication from yourself to myself as to what is the goal, what's the bottom line, how much money do you need, and who are the relationships that we could nurture to get to where they sign the check. And that's the bottom line. You're trying to get them to invest in you or in your company, your team, or your son or daughter. And once you establish that relationship, Derek and I have always prided ourselves in the fact that we keep those relationships going because it's not just, we're going to take your money and, and okay, bye we make sure that every race they come to, they're taken care of, that they are an integral part of your son or daughters or your success moving forward. Yes. And I think the one thing that, ha- you know, that people don't really know, and that's where we have the opportunity to sit down and we can stimulate your minds and, and lead you down paths maybe that you haven't thought about. But, you know, everyone has obstacles. You're obviously having an obstacle figuring out what's best for your, you know, your, your kids, what, what direction you should go. Uh, and then other companies have obstacles too, right? You know, and we have to try to find a way that we can, you know, help mitigate some of that and overcome it. So there's opportunities like bartering, right? I mean, there's lots of times that they can write something off if they gave you a, you know, a gas card or they gave you something else. They can do things that will help you underwrite what you're doing, you know, from travel expenses or things like that. And just getting hotel rooms or getting, you know, anything you can get. There's all kinds of ways that you can put sponsorship together to start relationships and getting in the door, getting your foot in the door, creating a relationship, because it really is all about relationships. 
and you getting the opportunity to build a relationship with someone or a group or uh, you know a company, and then the child's or the, you know the driver's understanding that you know this just doesn't happen for free. They have an obligation. They become a part of that, and they have to reciprocate and they have to give back. And you know once they learn those things, it really is a good work ethic for them to understand that you know what it, you have to give to get, and they have to they have to understand that. That's what racing is all about to make it there. You know, you're not going to do this on your, on your own. You know, you only have so much money and most everybody does. And ultimately you get to a level where you can't do more. And so hopefully we can shed some light on that. Hopefully that we will get an opportunity to maybe spend some time and see if, you know, we can bring something to the table and, you know, at least lead you down a path that maybe gives you some sense that you can do something about getting to the next level. And it may not ever be to the, the highest level, but you may be getting down from go-karts to, you know, uh, quarter midgets, or you might go from that to, you know, bandoleros. Next thing you know, you can drive a midget or whatever, but making the next steps and finding relationships to drive somebody else's car, maybe not your own. And that leads to you not having to spend money and maybe it's a, a good path. But like I said, those are what we do. So those opportunities are provided here. And we certainly want you to feel feel and comfortable about talking to us. And uh, we'll do that for free and see if there's any kind of initial dialogue that makes some sense for you. Yes. And we want you to meet your goals. We want you to dream big. We don't want anybody on this earth to uh, say, well, I couldn't do that because I didn't have enough money. Believe me, where there's a will, there's a way. And we'd love to help you. Yeah, without the dream, you die, right? I mean, mm -hmm. that's what you, my father always told me, you know, you, without the dream, you die. So you got to work towards something that you have passion for and you love and it means something to you because that makes you get up in the morning, makes you go to work, makes you thrive. So with that, thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. Did this episode give you some value? If so, please follow us on Facebook at Derek Cope and Instagram at DerekCope00 and leave a comment or question and use hashtag race theory. We can't wait to hear from you. See you on the next episode.